Congress, the President, the Supreme Court. We think of government and politics through the lens of what is happening in Washington. But we are far more affected by our local officials, community volunteers, and everyday citizens than anything decided in D.C. This podcast brings these stories to you through conversations with the people shaping our lives in our communities. I'm Jack Klett. Born and raised in South Jersey, I know firsthand the strength of our neighborhoods. At 16, I volunteered for my congressman, where I learned that constituent service is a primary responsibility of any elected official. Constituent service is another name for good government. These are the good stories of government doing good in our towns, our boroughs, our municipalities, our counties, our regions, our state. I'm Jack Lett, and this is For the Public. Finally, it's 2021, South Jersey. Unfortunately, 2020 just doesn't seem to want to let go. The virus continues raging. Our national politics continue to inspire a little more than disgust and division. Even the great symbol of our republic, the Capitol building, was ransacked by an insurrectionist mob. Where is one to go for some good news? Well, we are here at For the Public to break through all of that with the stories of our local communities doing good, good government, good neighbors, and the good stories that come from everyday people who care about one another, who try to make our lives better. The response to this podcast has been very positive, and I'm happy that we are greeted with comments and questions about the show. It seems that there is a desire among some listeners to know a little bit more about me, my background, and why I felt the need to create this podcast. To be clear, this podcast is about many things, but one thing it shouldn't be about is me. But to answer these questions, I will take this one opportunity to pull back the curtain and share a bit about my motivations in assembling this show. As with all good things, no single person is responsible, such is the case with For the Public. I get by with a little help from my friends, one in particular, Nicole Hall, who has been instrumental in the public-facing look and feel of this podcast. Nick and I sat down to share a bit about ourselves, our South Jersey stories, and our goals for this podcast. So, for the public, this is us. So I am joined uh, by my colleague and friend, Nicole Hall. Hello, Nick. Uh, so the, the question came in, Nick, about this podcast. Uh, we're gaining some traction now, what, five, six episodes in. Uh, people are listening. They're liking what they're hearing. They're finding the stories and profiles of South Jersey towns and hamlets uh, interesting, especially the, the folks that we drum up to, to, be, to be on with us to talk about issues in South Jersey. Uh, that, of course, warms my heart to know that people are listening and they're liking what they're hearing, but they want to know more about who we are, uh, who I am, uh, who, how this podcast came to be, how For the Public exists and why, um, and how we came ab- about all of this. Uh, so that's what this episode is. This episode is For the Public, For the Public, Right. So that brings uh, us together here because even though it's my voice that people hear all the time and the intro to the podcast is kind of my story, right? 
Um, I don't do this on my own. In fact, I would be lost if I didn't have someone of your skills and talent to assist me. So uh, this podcast for everyone out there uh, who wants to know is not the Jack Klett show. It is the Nicole Hall and Jack Klett show because Nick does so much to help with this podcast. So uh, Nicole, thank you. Of course, it's my pleasure. And, and of course, as biased as I may be, I also have been thoroughly enjoying the podcast. So I'm happy to be part of it. Yeah, we've been really fortunate. I, I think that, you know, one of the great things has been the fact that we live in times that allow us to have people on with really interesting stories that are doing some really compelling work. I mean, to have John Weingart join us for our inaugural episode and him to be able to talk about his 30 plus years uh, in, in service to this state. Uh, I mean, that was just a, wonderful for, for folks to hear and to be able to share that story. Uh, to have Amal Sinha, uh, especially as there have been all kinds of updates uh, with legalization of uh, marijuana and its re relationship with social justice here in New Jersey. Uh, the work the ACLU has done to really put pressure on the legislature to get two really nice bills um, uh, to the fore has been been really awesome. So I, I'm glad to see the success that they've been having. Uh, and then to be able to, to look at the work of uh, Mayor Malley and Cassie Iacovelli and the work that they're doing in Hamilton and Collingswood, respectively. And what I love about it is that it also just allows me to read up on South Jersey news, which I follow, obviously, uh, I'm, I'm addicted to news and politics, um, and to find really wonderful things that just regular people are doing, and to use this this platform as a vehicle to showcase that work, uh, the work of DJ Cottrell, for example, and his, his winter coat drive that was a success, over 200 uh, coats there collected. So, you know, the, these are the, the things that, if we take a look at why this podcast exists, it exists to provide people just a different type of, a different relationship with the work and the stories that are happening here across South Jersey, which uh, even though you're in Chicago, and we can get into that here in a moment, um, you know, you yourself have a wonderful relationship with New Jersey, South Jersey in particular, uh, which we can dive into. Um, but it's been, I'm droning on here. It's been it's been wonderful to do the work so far and we're looking forward to many episodes to come. Uh, why don't we just start with, I, I didn't do a, a wonderful fancy introduction. We just kind of dove right into this. So why don't you give folks an idea? People hear my story with the intro of every episode. So why don't you give folks a little bit of uh, your story, Nick? Sure. Gosh, my story is, maybe a little bit all over the place, though I always say it makes perfect sense to me. Um, I do a little bit of everything. I um, professionally work in higher education. I am the graduate director in enrollment management at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, um, which for those who may or may not be familiar is the school that is tied to the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, which is Chicago's largest art museum. 
Um, it's a beautiful encyclopedic museum um, that was actually started as a collection for our students. So um, I'm very happy to be out here in Chicago and engaged in a really wonderful and incredible arts community. Um, and I'm here in a position where I get to do all sorts of fun things, including some curriculum design and uh, working as adjunct faculty in our architecture department. Um, I academically um, have a background in fine arts as well as sustainable design and social geography. Um, I do research in social geography that's centered around the relationship between universities and their urban communities um, and looking at different strategies of communication and engagement to bring um, communities together and to really use higher education as a point of connection um, both to provide services to our urban residents as well as um, to make connections and, and give people kind of safe spaces in, in education and in their communities. Um, I am a creative lady. I do all sorts of um, projects. Jack and I were talking earlier about my uh, recent endeavor in wallpapering. Um, which is a new skill I've acquired along with uh, learning how to play the concertina this year. Um, when it comes to for the public, I um, have done the website for uh, the podcast as well as the logo for Jack and um, helping him get everything up and running online using my techie skills there. Um, and I think just in general, kind of a sounding board to talk to Jack and hear what he's thinking about um, and share you know, my thoughts and feelings and uh, feedback on the episodes, which, like I said, have been really wonderful. So, Well, and, you know, you touched on higher education and your work in higher ed, and you and I are both higher education uh, evangelists. We've, uh, we've worked in, in higher ed for years, um, and that was actually where you and I met. You and I met uh, at, uh, we, we actually don't have uh, our our meeting story is not a South Jersey story. Our meeting story is actually a Philadelphia story. Um, and we both met on uh, a university campus and ultimately ended up working together. And that was how we, we came to meet. But you do have a South Jersey story. So share a little bit about your connection to South Jersey. Um, and I mean, really, your connection to South Jersey isn't only a a professional one because you do have a professional connection, which I think is interesting in and of itself and really does tie into what this podcast is all about. But you also have a very personal South Jersey story. So yeah. let's hear about those. Sure. So um, growing up, my family had a house in Ocean City, New Jersey, uh, where we spent the majority of our summers um, and is a really special place that especially held a, a spot in my mom's heart. Uh, and shout out to her. Today is her birthday. Um, but she, when I, my brother and I moved out, she, Happy birthday, Nancy. <laughs> she uh, filled her dream that she had always told us growing up that she was going, as soon as we moved out, she was moving to the shore and she did exactly that. So um, she lives in Marmora, New Jersey. So I spend a lot of time down there with her. Um, she is very active in her Rotary Club and Chamber of Commerce and Green Team. So I'm um, hearing lots about uh, her own engagement uh, with South Jersey has been really interesting. Um, so definitely something that I'm always between her and Jack uh, keeping tabs on. Um, and when I was doing my dissertation research, um, I was looking at extension campuses in urban communities and ways that campuses uh, 
colleges create branch campuses as a way to engage urban communities um, and expand on uh, their urban presence. So as I was looking to do field work um, and trying to kind of make the decision about exactly where I wanted to do that, I was doing my degree at uh, Temple University in Philadelphia, um, but I was always really interested in Atlantic City and at the time, um, the uh, they had just uh, brought in a new mayor um, and I actually happened to meet him at one of my mom's rotary uh, international fundraisers uh, we had a great us, um, can you give us an idea about what what year was this oh um, 2011 or 12 makes sense to me yeah um, so we so I met uh, Mayor Don Guardian at one of her functions. We had a really wonderful conversation about um, some of the work that he was doing. I was really, you know, interested at that point, you know, I was looking at a lot of relationships between urban communities and larger institutions. And so, you know, thinking mostly about uh, in Atlantic City, the relationship between uh, their urban communities and the casino community. Um, and it turned out that there was also conversations at that point where Stockton was looking to expand in to Atlantic City, bringing a branch campus into the city. Um, so I uh, actually took my field work, I took a position working with the Department of Planning in the mayor's office um, and worked with them doing research on other branch campus expansions, uh, looking at potential locations for a branch campus, um, and that really evolved to be the core case study of my dissertation work. So um, I remained engaged uh, with everything that was happening in Atlantic City for about four years as they kind of went through that process um, and all the way leading up to Stockton opening that campus in I think that was 2016 or 2017. Um, so really an interesting process, you know, for me who had always worked in higher education, it was really interesting to, to work on the government side of that and really see kind of what that connection looked like, what those conversations looked like, um, and really how the, you know, policy evolved. Um, and it was, it was a really interesting project. Most of the work that I did was looking, uh, was working with communities and talking to the people who lived in Atlantic City about, what the impact would be, what their hopes were, um, and really giving a voice to um, to the citizens, uh, making sure that they were engaged in that planning process. Well, I mean, and I, lo I love when you were doing that work, and as we talk about that work even today, um, you know, you and I were fortunately in a position fairly recently where we were able to take a distanced, uh, fairly exhausting bike ride. And uh, and we just got talking about the work that you had done in Atlantic City, and um, and that of course immediately allowed me to draw some parallels to some of the things that are happening in in Camden, which of course, with me being here in Collingswood, New Jersey, Camden's literally right next door. Um, and we've covered in the podcast to date already um, a really nice story about a fairly surprising story based on uh, some of the feedback that we've received. Um, about uh, urban farming in Camden and the 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 booming kind of um, agricultural uh, opportunities that exist uh, in an urban area. So that, of course, I think probably really resonates with both your love of sustainability and uh, and also your work your work with planning. One of the things I love about just all of this is that 
you know, I, I think no matter where you go, and I don't know what it is about our tiny little state. Um, and I'm saying our, because of your own personal connection. So, mm-hmm. but it seems like no matter where you go and no matter where people live, and I don't know if it's the beaches, if it's, you know, all the other wonderful things that we have, um, that the fact that you basically have almost every single type of geography in this tiny little state. Um, but it seems like everyone just has a, a, a New Jersey story, a connection to, to New Jersey um, in a way that is meaningful. And yet, you know, it's interesting because then there's the, the, the pop culture stereotype of the state, which of course kind of focuses a lot on, um, you know, the Jersey shore and, uh, and, uh, oh my goodness, I'm completely having, um, a moment where I can't remember the show Jersey shore. That was the show. So, you know, so you have that kind of cultural stereotype. Maybe the Sopranos brought a little bit about that, of that about as well. Um, or the guard, the garden state being absolutely not the garden state. And yet, uh, here in South Jersey, we have so much um, uh, farmland uh, and and crop production. Um, so yeah, so I think it's it's really nice that everyone has this kind of opportunity for connection with the state. Yeah, and I think you know one of the things for me that was really interesting. I mean, I had spent so much time in New Jersey, but looking at the state and it's people and politics and geography from an academic lens was really interesting, especially, you know, as a geographer, I've studied all sorts of places, but um, it has a little bit of everything. You have, you know, the relationship with surrounding, you know, urban communities like Philadelphia and New York. You have your own freestanding urban communities like Camden. You have beach communities, which are really interesting, especially when you're thinking about it from an environmental standpoint. And, you know, and certainly in Atlantic City, you have this really interesting dynamic of kind of eds and meds and casinos as a, as a mm-hmm. different, totally different industry. You had a tourism community as well as a really strong um, residential community. And, you know, you were dealing with issues of urban sprawl while also dealing with issues of erosion. Um, just really fascinating kind of factors that, for me was a dream project because it allowed me to touch on so many more things than I would have been able to um, if I had been working in, you know, any other kind of general urban space. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, having, having lived in Philadelphia for 10 years, but also having been raised here. Right. So I grew up in, in New Jersey and then lived in Phil, went to college up at Ryder uh, central New Jersey, and then lived in Philadelphia for the next 10 years before returning to South Jersey and, and buying a home here in Collingswood. You know, I loved that. And I touched on this a little bit in my conversation with mayor Malley. I loved Philadelphia. I just loved it. It was, especially when I was in my twenties, right. It was a, it was a wonderful time to be in the city. Um, and, and yet when I moved here, when I came back home, there was just so much that, was almost, it was like, I mean, frankly, it was like a warm hug, right? It was like, I was back, you know, in something completely familiar that I had grown up with. So, you know, you have all those memories that kind of come back and, you know, you ride down the, the streets of your old town and, you know, you kind of have these flashback memories and you, you, you relive experiences that frankly, you probably haven't thought of that much, but then also to see just 
how much things have changed mm -hmm. in so many wonderful ways for so many communities in South Jersey. And, you know, I happen to live in one. I, I live in, in Collingswood and the mayor and I really didn't get too much into this, maybe a little bit, but, you know, when we talked about the evolution of Collingswood, well, it's not just Collingswood that had that evolution. You know, Cassie talked about that evolution in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. uh, Woodbury's Main Street has had that, uh, that revolution. Camden itself, um, you know, when I was in high school, I was involved. I, I was, uh, there was a new organization that had started uh, at Audubon High School. I, I grew up in Audubon Park and I went to Audubon High School. And that organization was called STARS. It was Students and Teachers Against Racism and Stereotypes, uh, which couldn't be any more important than of a, of, of a topic um, today, I, I think, given what we're dealing with nationally. Um, but this program was really important. It was designed to take uh, a small blue-collar suburban town, Audubon, New Jersey, 99% uh, white, and uh, be able to create a partnership, peer-to-peer -peer relationship with Woodrow Wilson High School in Camden, um, which is probably around 99% uh, uh, black and Latino. Um, and to be able to have that, that exchange, uh, was, was really, really, uh, uh, important, um, and necessary. And, you know, I, I remember the, I remember the, the time that we were, you know, this was more, this was pre zoom, right? So this wasn't like we were having these meetings, uh, through zoom. We were, we were, 17, 18 year old kids, some of us younger because it was open to freshmen all the way through senior. And, you know, you're, you're literally, you know, you're going into Camden and the students from Camden are coming into Audubon. And, um, and I remember we would just have those meetings and the meetings were wonderful. Um, they were great for us, the people that were actively involved in the organization. But even though we were young kids, we already kind of got it, right? Like, we volunteered to be part of an organization. And I remember the looks on my classmates' face uh, when, you know, the, when, when everybody from uh, Woodrow Wilson would come in Audubon High, uh, they were like, what is going on? And it's like, this is students and teachers against racism and stereotypes. We're having a meeting. And conversely, when we walked into Woodrow Wilson, folks were like, what is going on? And they had the, the, the same response. The evolution um, in Camden from the time that I remember it when I was 18 years old um, and, and, and how the, the city has, um, has changed in some really smart ways, some ways that are a little bit concerning because I think you and I are always concerned about you know, when there is economic development within an urban uh, area. Uh, and this, by the way, goes for Philadelphia, it goes for Atlantic City, it goes for wherever you see, uh, you see uh, urban, um, urban development, gentrification. That has uh, some really negative impacts on, um, on folks who have called some of those communities home, in, in some cases for generations. So that is always a, a concern. I think, though, Camden seems to be, I don't know if it's because of the, 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 well, let me ask you. I mean, I know you haven't done a lot of uh, Atlantic City is where you spent most of your time. Um, right. uh, but 
you know, when you look at the evolution of Camden, do you think that part of the reason why things are, and look, there's a lot of work to do. Not everything is perfect. I mean, that is definitely true. And folks who live in Camden would tell you that there are still serious, serious problems that remain that need to be addressed. Uh, but there has been positive change. And I guess my question is, has that positive change in part been because of the heavy investment from an educational perspective? Um, you know, we talk about EDS and MEDS. Um, you know, what is the impact of EDS and MEDS in an urban location like Camden? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Rutgers was one of the kind of side case studies that that I had looked at as as I was, you know, working with Atlantic City to kind of develop their plan, you know, looking at other urban areas that had also done a lot of expansion work. Um, and certainly I think that the EDS and MEDS are were really ahead of, of that curve in, in terms of what they were developing even before some of the waterfront tourism, um, you know, expanded out. And so I definitely think that that is really important. And I do think, you know, when you bring up things like community gardens and, um, you know, projects that are rooted in the arts, which I know that they had a number of those, um, you know, I think that those are, are really important. And one of the things that I have found in all of the community development work that I've done um, is that it's really important to listen to the communities that are in those spaces that really understand their urban community. Um, and often, you know, simple things like getting down in a garden together and, you know, really understanding what people need as opposed to making assumptions of, oh, the way to fix this is X, Y, Z, or development will fix this, or, you know, I, I don't think there's ever one solution. And I think that Camden is a great example of, you know, they thought about, you know, how do we make the waterfront accessible? How do we, you know, really take advantage of that connection that we have with Philadelphia there? Um, you know, we have these, you know, strong institutions on, you know, in, in the medical and education side, you know, what do those campuses look like? How do those campuses engage, you know, not walling themselves off, but really thinking about the city as their community. Um, and, you know, I think that's, that's all really important and, and just really engaging residents in that process. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that makes South Jersey just a wonderful place to be has been this balance as these evolutions have occurred in keeping the South Jersey identity, but also being able to, to shift into something a little bit different. It causes some tension sometimes. I mean, I don't know here in Collingswood, you know, there are those folks who um, to, who hold on to a bit of the, the identity of Collingswood before it became quote unquote well, hip. I, I've never worked with a community where you aren't met with that resistance. Yeah. So I think that's super common and I think that's inherent to human nature is, you know, fear of change. But again, I think that that goes back to the, you know, building trust in communities, using more collaborative processes, you know, instead of having a, town hall where you're talking to people and telling them what you're doing instead embracing something like a an integrated charrette where you're you know everyone is holding the marker and working on the plans and talking about what they need um you know i think is is a great way to kind of bring that that down a little bit you know it, it it's really true i mean one of the things that has been unique to watch here has been the increase in community activities and special events and festivals and things that allow for the community to come together 
regardless of whether you prefer quote unquote old Collingswood or new Collingswood, um, for most of us, like, like me, we remember a bit of old Collingswood, but it's new Collingswood that we've really kind of embraced. And obviously the, I, I live in new Collingswood, um, you know, but I, I, what, one of the things I really like about what the leadership here has done is, and I don't know if this was intentional. I'm, I'm thinking it probably wasn't, but the way they, they just let it happen. Um, you know, we have a, uh, as many communities do, we have a, uh, a Facebook presence, a community Facebook presence called In the Wood. And uh, In the Wood is interesting because it's a range of, you know, people asking for suggestions like, hey, do we have any good roofers in town? Or where do you go in town to find X? Or, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Or, you know, hey, uh, Dolce is having a discount on their cookies this week. You know, like, so those types of things. And then you have community issues that come up and it can get kind of contentious, right? I mean, everybody has an opinion. Social media allows you to amplify your opinion in ways that may or may not be, well, let's face it, aren't necessarily the way that you would say things to someone in person. So things can get a little bit heated. Uh, and to be in a situation where, you know, you're, you're, you're having that kind of conversation and sometimes citizens going at each other. But one of the things that, that was interesting here in town is that we were able to put in place a public fountain. So if you're on Haddon Ave, which is the main street here in Collingswood, there is a, a little gathering area and there in the middle of that gathering area is this fountain. Now the fountain was actually put in place as a way to slow down traffic on Haddon Avenue, right? Cause it's right in the middle of the Avenue. So you kind of have to go around it. So it slows people down, which is good because we have a lot of foot traffic because of our businesses, our restaurants, our shops, um, a vibrant Avenue. Well, everyone has made fun of this fountain. So the point is whether or not you are old Collingswood or new Collingswood, you can come together making fun of this fountain that the town leadership that was involved in its implementation, I probably should have asked Mayor Malley about the fountain, but they, they really have not defended the fountain. The fountain is the fountain. Um, and it's just great because it's one of those things that we actually, as much as we all make fun of it, we've all claimed. So if there's anyone that goes on in the wood who is not part of Collingswood and they make fun of our fountain, we get on them. Only we can make fun of our fountain, right? <laughs> so. I do like, it's interesting to see the types of things that can happen when you have two sides kind of pitted against each other, uh, hashing it out a bit and to instead see that something as simple as, um, an odd fountain can, uh, can actually bring folks together, which does bring me a little bit to something that I want to talk about, which, um, really has, it's not what this podcast is normally about, but I think I, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be doing folks justice if we didn't talk a little bit about it. Um, especially because if this is if this episode is about us sharing a bit of our stories, um, then I feel like I need to share this one. Uh, I the intro of this podcast, I talk about how when I was sixteen, I volunteered for my local congressman. Um, and I did. I volunteered for my local congressman. I, I, I took a liking to politics and government service very, at, a, at a very young age. And when I was 16, I had the opportunity to, to spend every day for the summer uh, 
in my congressman's office working with his staff. I was assigned to constituent service, and that was where I learned, as I say in the intro, the good of government. Every, all you did every day was read the letters. It's kind of pre-email. Uh, read the letters that people would send in asking for help. And your job that day, or for, for however many days it took, was to navigate the federal bureaucracy or to assist at the state level or local level to solve the problem of that person, uh, if indeed it was a problem of government. And that's so important. And I feel like it's also something that, you know, I know that throughout time, I have always really, you know, relied on my local government officials for anything from, you know, issues with taxes to, you know, issues with like neighborhood things, um, and always been really impressed at how quickly things are managed and, and handled in those spaces. Um, and I think that it's something that that is greatly underutilized, where so many folks don't think to reach out to those people that really do exist like you did to help the citizens. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, well, it was a real education for me, right? I mean, here, I didn't even know that this office existed, right? Or that this role existed in a congressional office. I mean, my, my thinking was, oh, I'm going to go learn about policy and, you know, how to, I mean, at that time I was 16 years old, how to fill a pothole. I mean, what, what did I know about what I was going to learn? Yeah. Uh, and then to, to have all of this revealed to me and then to be part of, you know, w within a, a couple weeks, I was being assigned cases, constituent cases, and, and contacting uh, government agencies uh, to, to help solve the problem of these individuals. So it was such a, a tangible feeling of leaving that day and knowing that, wow, someone's life was made a little bit better because of the work that I was able to do today. And that was, that was so awesome. Um, I then went off to college, obviously. I, I, uh, I became president of College Democrats while I was at Ryder. Um, and uh, that was during the, the, the 96 uh, Clinton re-election. So it was fun to do some, some work there. I, I was able to do some volunteer work for a, a local congressional candidate in New Jersey's 12th congressional district, uh, which then led me uh, to, um, to being hired in 1998, um, to, to be hired in 1998 to work for Congressman Rush Holt, who was, had been new, newly elected to New Jersey's 12th Congressional District. And I was able to start as a, a district aide and ultimately um, became coordinator of constituent service. So that, that thing that I learned about existed when I was 16. Uh, fast forward six years, and I was actually running that unit um, within. Uh, a, a member, a, a member of Congress office. So that was uh, amazing because then every single request that came into that office, uh, these eyes read. Um, and we had a team, of course, uh, probably of about four or five folks who that was their full-time job. Their full-time job was to come in every day and to solve those problems. And if there's a question of why does this podcast exist? It exists because I know firsthand the good that government can do. 
And it is because of that, that what we saw happen um, on Wednesday, we're recording this episode uh, on the Friday of the week of the riots that took place at the United States Capitol. Um, to see what happened there was literally, uh, it just was heartbreaking. Um, I, rem- I, I was watching the images unfold and watching um, uh, the windows to the Capitol building being broken, uh, seeing the, the rioters, uh, the insurrectionists, frankly, um, find themselves on the floor of the House, the, the Senate um, statutory hall, vandalizing, stealing. Um, uh, There's now reports that folks had defecated and smeared it all over the walls of the United States Capitol building. And look, I get that there are folks out there who believe that um, our government is broken, that our political process is broken, um, that politicians are in it for themselves and not for the people. My message to those folks is that I hear you. But this is certainly not the way to fix our system. Um, It was really painful to see. It's even painful just to talk about, frankly. I walked those halls. I was was on the floor of the house. Um, You know, I was based here in the district, but obviously would travel down from uh, on occasion to D.C. Uh, And when we did so, we we went into the Capitol and were, were in the underground tunnels between office buildings and, uh, and heading to, to the Capitol building. And, um, you know, when I walk into that building, I really feel just such awe and respect for the history of what has unfolded there, good or bad. Um, you know, I, I'm fortunate and I know I'm, I'm, I'm on a winder here. So, uh, this is my own filibuster, but um, I, I'm fortunate. I get to to, to teach uh, course courses for Thomas Jefferson University. I've been been teaching there for well, I, I don't know eight nine years now, um, and I teach college students about um, about history and about politics and global affairs and international relations and. You know, when I, when I teach about American history, um, particularly lately, I've had three students come to me and just express their horror of having to learn about, uh, about slavery and um, just the horrible conditions of enslaved peoples here in America. To the point where emotionally, they were thinking about dropping the class because they said, this is just with everything going on, this is just too much. And, and of course, I, I empathize because I read our history and am sometimes shocked by the horror of it. But history must be laid bare, warts and all. Because frankly, if we don't learn about the terrible things that have happened in America, that minimizes the valiant work of people who fought to achieve our greatest accomplishments as a country and as a people. 
And our entire journey as Americans is a journey to fulfill the promise that was espoused in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. One more line, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. The consent of the governed. Our story is about that consent and that struggle to fulfill the promise of equality here in the United States. It is an imperfect story. I've got news for you folks. It'll never be fulfilled perfectly. It is an imperfect story that requires the best of us to continue to try to fulfill and make that promise a reality. It requires work and blood and sweat and tears and pain sometimes, real pain. And we have to learn it and we have to be better because of the learning and we have to invest in what will make us better as a country together. So I'm going to pause there because uh, I didn't mean this for this to become uh, a speech, and I feel like it has become a speech. But I, I just – this podcast has given me a platform to just say, <laughs> say what I feel about what happened this week. And uh, I hope I didn't just uh, make everybody stop listening to this show. Well – you know, that's, it's so true, Jack, and it is just an absolutely crazy time right now. And I think that, you know, one thing is, and I think this is something that has, especially in the context of all of the things that are happening in our federal government, made your podcast so interesting and compelling, is that we so think about everything that's happening federally is kind of this is what government is and these are what problems exist. Um, but you know, there's a there's a whole massive web that leads up to that um, that's really making impact in our local communities. And those spaces are just as important, and those elections are just as important. And really, you know, thinking about that that full structure. Um, and the role that it really plays in all of our lives is, you know, just is beyond even what's happening at the top and how we all feel about that and the, you know, trauma that we're experiencing there. Um, there's still, you know, our local government taking care of us in other ways um, and there to support us in other ways. Yep. And that's why this podcast exists. Um, you know, this podcast, excuse me while I went kind of doomy and gloomy, but this podcast is really about those wonderful stories of government working because as much as it seems like it doesn't at our national level um, and sometimes even at our state level, uh, the fact is that we are touched more every day by what is happening, um, the work of our local leaders, uh, the work of our, of our neighbors, of our fellow citizens, the members of our communities, uh, who are giving their time often by the way should I should mention these are in many cases these are unpaid positions these are people who are giving their time uh, to to better uh, all of our lives to better our communities and to better our experiences um, and that's why I'm so glad that this podcast exists to be a bit of a cleanse from what we deal with uh, on the national level the stuff that happens at the national level 
um, is important, uh, very much so, and it's something that uh, I spend a lot of time focused on because I spend so much time thinking about how can we make this better? How can we make what happens in Washington more like what happens in Barrow Hall? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of that just comes down to how we started this, this episode, investing in your communities together, uh, whether that be, you know, farming in Camden, uh, whether that be, um, something happening in Atlantic city or something happened in ocean city, whether or not that be a, a fountain in the middle of Haddon Avenue. Um, it is about doing things together and finding your common shared interests. I still believe um, that there is more that, and this sounds a bit trite, um, there is so much more that we have in common um, than we don't. And there are folks who have very large megaphones to try to convince us otherwise. And we just can't be useful idiots. We have to focus on what really matters. And that's the neighbor next door. And it's the person down the street. And it's, uh, it's the, the teachers teaching our kids. Um, it's it's the, the police in our local communities. It's uh, the, the, the people who, who need a helping hand um, that we know of. It's the, the firefighters. And oh, I could go on and on about all the people that give of themselves to make our communities better. Um, we need to, we need to just make sure that we remember that we're, we're in this together. We're part of the same community and we have more in common than we don't. Absolutely. I mean, Nick, in your, in your work, I mean, I know that, you you know, and I should say Dr. Hall, right? Because you worked for nine years to get that right. Nine years. (laughs) Yeah. Almost. It was a long time. Um, so, I mean, in your work, you spend a lot of time, um, obviously, you're, 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 you know, as a higher education evangelist, you're doing all kinds of wonderful things, uh, a fellow higher education evangelist. One of those things you're doing, though, is academic. You've designed some courses and, um, that, of course, rely on your expertise. So you have, I think, a, a direct kind of academic but also like real life kind of perspective on how towns evolve. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure, absolutely. So one of the courses that, um, that I worked in here at, at SAIC, and, and again, this is working with architecture students who are in an art school, so they've chosen a really kind of creative pathway. Um, so I designed a course for them about, that's focused in creating social equity through the built environment. So thinking about, you know, in addition to the, you know, of course, in my own work, I'm really looking at the human aspect, but there's also a really significant role that's played by the physical environment of urban spaces. And, you know, I thought it was really interesting in the episode with the mayor of Collingswood talking about how part of changing the culture of the town was also really thinking about the buildings and the housing and the ways that converting back to single homes was good for community, also good for infrastructure. 
um, and that all of those things are, are really connected to the community that's happening. So really getting students to examine the urban landscape and thinking about the people that are in those spaces. And, you know, I always love to start them off with Jane Jacobs talking about eyes on the street, that you're always safer when your neighbors are present, things like you know, if you live in a neighborhood where everyone's sitting on their stoop at the end of the day and talking to one another, um, that's creating a different type of community. So, um, you know, and certainly in urban spaces, uh, it's very easy to be isolated. You know, I live here in Chicago and, you know, downtown, you have a, a very different landscape of, of tall high-rise buildings. Um, so really making sure that as you know, and, and really being able to influence our students that are about to go out and, and be designing buildings that are impacting the communities um, where they exist, uh, to really be thinking about who's living in those spaces and mm -hmm. what will, what sort of community will be created in the physical space to enable those more personal connections. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that the, there's so much from a planning perspective that a lot of people don't even realize. I mean, and that is another goal of this podcast, right? The, another goal of this podcast, podcast is to reveal uh, and to make people aware of the intentional work that is done to create the environment that you love living in. Um, you know, it's not like towns that we love, like like Hamilton and Woodbury and, and Voorhees and Collingswood it's not like they just came to be, um, you know, there are people who intentionally plan the use of space um, and, and what types of, of structures are going to be placed there and whether or not something is going to be considered for a community area or a business area or a residential area and how all of that interplays with one another, it, that is going to ultimately lead to, uh, the, the character and feel and culture of that community. Um, and, and there are folks who go to work every day who are thinking about that uh, and, and intentionally making changes that will ripple through the neighborhoods uh, in ways that can have some, some really um, uh, transformational effects. By the way, I should say both good and bad. I mean, Mayor Malley's point uh, was, look, we had evolved to a residential use environment that the town was never designed for. Right. And that created all kinds of pressures on the system that the system was never built to support. Mm -hmm. So it was how do we intentionally kind of go back to the original purpose and then from there add in a way that would fundamentally still support uh, the community. So. Absolutely. Um, that's really interesting. That's another episode. We can go into that <laughs> in another episode. So like I've kind of talked about how all of my things overlap, but Jack, you similarly have this really amazing political connection and also have built a career on the academic side. So where's a spot that you feel you did that really well or was a really good point of connection beyond just teaching students about government? Yeah, I mean, the teaching is the first thing that comes to mind, right? Because I, I teach about politics and history and international relations. And, mm -hmm. um, but I really, when I, became, when I became associate dean, I had 
an amazing opportunity to take my love of, uh, of government and uh, also all this wonderful work I was doing centered around um, innovation and intentional innovation strategies. I was associate dean of the Canbar College of Design, Engineering, and Commerce, and we focused on a really uh, neat kind of interdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary um, uh, uh, innovation curriculum. Um, because the idea behind it is that innovation can indeed be taught. There are strategies that you can implement that allow for uh, innovation in a way that is very empathetic uh, so that you can solve the problems of people. So I was a, a founding faculty member for Philadelphia University's Academy of Municipal Innovation. And this wasn't a degree-bearing program. I mean, you did get a certificate, but it wasn't you know, a college credit-based program. Instead, what we were doing was we were uh, enrolling uh, government employees, um, people who are tasked every day with going to work and trying to make the lives of folks better through their government service. And uh, we were enrolling them to specifically teach them innovation strategies ways in which they could take vexing problems that were being experienced by the citizenry, by the members of, of their communities, um, and turn those instead into innovation opportunities that were very human-centered, uh, that followed a, a pathway of empathy, right? So that you were able to, as you were fixing these problems to come up with new systems, you were putting yourself in the shoes of that citizen of that member of, of your community um, so that you could experience what their, what their pain points would be, what their gain moments would be um, in ways that really were designed to create these seeds of innovation across government, um, whether it be the city government, the, the, your local towns, uh, state, federal, the idea was to plant these seeds of innovation so that we could really have a, a pretty uh, dynamic impact on the way in which um, uh, municipal workers go to work every day to try to solve people's problems. I think that was one of the most glorious moments of overlap in my career to date. That's wonderful. And you know, Jack, I did a degree in sustainable design at Thomas Jefferson. Um, and it was similarly really interesting in that it was a program that brought people together from all different backgrounds so that you had, you know, artists and architects and engineers and developers and government folks all working together to talk about the same problems. And I think that is so important when you're thinking about community planning at any scale. Um, is really bringing all of those different people to the table um, and really making sure that everyone understands everyone else's perspective, that level of empathy, I think is really important in the planning process. Well, Nick, this became, um, I, 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 I fear that I did what I sometimes do, which is I dominated the amount of time talking. Uh, though You're I don't- passionate, Jack. Yeah, I don't do that on any other episode. Uh, so this was my like one episode to turn it, I guess to truly try to turn it into the Jack Clett show. But um, I do want to say that for everyone out there, I, I, I couldn't do this show, the, the podcast, 
without Nicole. Um, she's been a great uh, partner, such a necessary partner. And um, I'm so glad that you got to spend some time today, Nick, for the public. For sure. And if anyone wants to reach out to talk about social equity in the built environment or integrated uh, community planning or making websites for podcasts, um, certainly feel free to reach out to me. We'll make sure that uh, my website and contact information is on the notes for this episode. We close with a good news story. A $50,000 grant has been secured in order to determine whether a long-abandoned area of land along the Delaware River in Camden can be transformed into a museum focused on South Jersey's role in our nation's early history. The New Jersey Historic Trust provided the grant to determine the feasibility of opening the American Revolution Museum of South Jersey at this location by 2026 in time for the 250th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. The 17-acre space includes the once-thriving Tavern and Inn, built in 1734 by Benjamin Cooper. The Cooper House served as a stop for those traveling to Delaware and using ferries to get from Camden to Philadelphia and back again. This part of Camden was known as Cooper's Ferry, and the Cooper House was occupied by British forces during the Revolutionary War. Well, now it sits alone in an area of Camden long ago reclaimed by nature. Cobblestones are now covered by mud and weeds. Boards exist where windows once were. It's history hidden behind decades of neglect. If successful, developers will be able to reclaim that history and share it with the public. Additionally, the remaining land can be devoted to the telling of history as well as a location for vocational training for Camden residents. Thus, the site would be wholly devoted to the learning of new knowledge and the attainment of new skills. For more on this story, search for the headline, What Will It Take to Preserve Camden's Oldest House? by visiting CarrierPostOnline.com. That brings us to the end of another episode. If you know of someone who's doing good in your community and you'd like us to know about it, visit us at ForThePublicPod.com. Whether you get your podcast through Google, Spotify, Apple, or somewhere else, good reviews are appreciated. They expose more listeners to the show. We certainly want to spread the good news as much as we possibly can. Until next time, everybody. Cheers, South Jersey.